Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John. Um, we've been going through a series quite a while now. It's maybe the eighth message on it, going through 1 John. We made it down to chapter 5. Um, I tend to find getting to the end of books uh, more challenging um, because there's more material to review to make sure you haven't lost your context. And before, by the time you're done reviewing, you kind of ran out of daylight. <laughs> um, and so I am going to endeavor to be brief to get a running start at this to get us into chapter 5. Um, and that the letter started back in chapter 1 with uh, the Apostle John describing Christ, how they'd handled him, how they'd seen him, how they'd heard him. Now, one of the attacks against the church that was going on at that time that we'd see later in this book is that there were those who were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh, that he wasn't really man, he wasn't really God, he was just a a spirit or an apparition or, or what or he's make-believe right um, and so John is saying here we were eyewitnesses that was the role of the apostle right those uh, apostles had been there from the baptism of Jesus at his public ministry all the way through and they were eyewitnesses of his resurrections they had seen they had physically handled they had touched they had heard him and so that's how he begins this letter and he says, I've got to tell you some things, that which we've heard and see, we're going to declare unto you for a reason, and that way we may have fellowship. All right, fellowship amongst fellow believers, and the fellowship he describes it, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. And so in the truth, there is greater fellowship among brethren and sistren and among the Lord and his Son. And in this, as you're learning and, and reading these things, this truth that you need to know, if you know these things, your joy can be full. All right? Jesus would say that the truth would set you free, but lies don't. Truth that's been tainted, truth that is corrupted, is no longer truth. And there is not the joy of the Lord in that. And so we want to study our word. If you... Preachers say this about every Sunday, right? Read your Bibles! Why? Because it's good for you! And it's good for me. Anything I say up here has no validity unless it's backed up by Scripture. And that's on y'all to go double-check me. Right? These things I write unto you that your joy may be full. And then he makes this blanket statement, this declaration that, that the, God is light. There's no darkness in Him whatsoever. And so if you want to walk with the Lord and have fellowship with Him in your day-to-day -day life, walk in the light. And this is a general principle. It should not be shocking to anybody. This has got a basic level that if you want to walk closely with the Lord, you need to walk in the light. And that it means leaving the darkness and the sin and the nastiness of this world aside. Now there are those who will try to teach you that you can have it both ways. You can continue on just as you are and be happy walking with the Lord. And two walk together except they be agreed. No? Well, are you going to change God's mind? No, he doesn't change. <laughs> so it's us. Us that have to change. Day by day. Because we will always have that old carnal nature. When you're born again, you get a new nature. A new creature that's created within you. Created unto good works and desires to please the Lord. Your old man didn't want that. But your old man's still there. And you've got a battle against him. And the old man is pretty cunning. And sometimes we're pretty stupid. David's not in the room. I'd get in trouble with, get in trouble with We can deceive ourselves into thinking that it's okay to do the wrong thing. And so John here is just cutting that to the quick and saying, no! If you want to walk with the Lord, you want to have greater fellowship one with another and with the Father and with the Son, and you want your joy to be full, walk in the light, leave off the sin. Right? Now, will you ever be able to get to the point where you say, I have no sin? No, it says if you do that, then you're lying to yourself. You've deceived yourself. All right? We are sinners. All right? We will continue to sin not in the same way that we did before we were born again. All right? When you, before you were born again, when you were dead in trespasses and sins, sin was what you knew. 
Sin is what you wanted. It didn't bother you. You may have some consequences in the world that weren't so pleasant with it, but you can serve it with your whole heart. Amen. Now you cannot. When you are born again, you cannot serve it with your whole heart. The Lord, in His loving goodness, will chasten you, will convict you, will draw you back to Him over and over and over and over again. Okay? So chapter 2 picks up with little children. I write unto these things that you sin not. General principle. Don't sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You have someone pleading and interceding actively on your behalf now on the right hand of the Father, and that is Jesus Christ, the head of this church. Amen. All the church, right? Amen. He's there. And when you sin, you're going and you're confessing to your Father, and the Son is there. He says, that sin is paid for too. This one is mine. Right? He was the propitiation for our sins. Big preacher word. You never say propitiation in day-to-day life. He was the payment of the debt. He was what had to be paid to make it right. It could never have been right without that. And he filled it by his death on the cross, by shedding his blood perfect blood without sin he became sin for us all of our sins of all of his people throughout all time were put upon him at that one point and he paid for the debt for all of them at one time all right and here's how we know that we know him these are some things that sometimes we need reassurances we need some reminders how do you know that you know the lord if you keep his commandments guess what you had no desire to do when you were dead in trespasses and sins. You had no desire to keep His commandments. You had no desire to please the Lord. You had no desire to know Him or love Him. Right? And yet now, that is your desire. You want to have an assurance that you know the Lord? Do you keep His commandments? Do you have a desire to keep His commandments? Do you grapple with that and struggle with that? Right? You know Him. Whosoever keepeth the word in Him verily is the love of God perfected. Here how, hereby we know that we're in Him. And then it would go on. I'm, I'm, I'm going way slower than I need to, so um, we didn't stop singing until about 15 after, so I got about 15 after I'm preaching, right? Or 30 after. We got lunch, so everyone stay. You're fine. Um, loving your brethren. All right? It defines that you cannot love the Lord, walk with the Lord, have fellowship with the Lord, say that I'm with the Lord in light if you hate your brothers and sisters. Can't do it. Right? That is the definition of walking in darkness. Okay? Alright. Moving quickly. Again, this theme of abstaining from the sin, putting away sin, not trying to have your feet in both worlds. Right? Verse 15, 16, chapter 2 talks about not loving the world, not loving the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For that which is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the things that make your body feel good, the lust of your eyes, the things that you desire, the pride of life, that's kind of the catch-all, right? Anything in this world that lifts you up and makes you feel good and grand and glorious and that you're the master and king, guess what? That don't come from the Father because He's the master and king. He's the one who's worthy of the glory, worthy of the honor. And guess what? He created it all anyway. All right? All that's going to pass away. And it's lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All right? And he's written these things not unto people who don't know this already. This is written unto those who know the truth. It's verse 21. But he's giving you reminders. Y'all, do we ever need reminders? All the, right. Why do you need to be in the Word? To be reminded. Well, I knew that once. I've, I've learned it. You know, I learned that back in Algebra 1. never had to use it again. All right, well, these are things that you'll use over and over and over again, and you need to be sharp in them. All right. Chapter 3 picks up with describing the manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us. To bestow is to give, to place. This is a love that He has put upon us. You didn't say, God, I'd like some love. No. He's been loving you since before you existed. All right, He loved you before the foundation of the world. And that just, that's hard to wrap your head around. He knew you. He chose you. He loved you. And that's how long He's been loving you. Because before Adam fell, 
Christ had already agreed. Jesus, the Word, had already agreed that He was going to come into this world and that He was going to redeem that people that His Father had given them. That's how long He's been loving you. And by that love, you're able to be called the sons of God. Isn't that, that's crazy. That's amazing. That's wonderful. If we're honest with ourselves and we've looked at our lives and how we spent, do any one of us deserve to be called the Son of God? By our own merits, not a chance. A wretch, sure. How often do we sing Amazing Grace and we think about wretch and what that really means? Wretch is not a positive term, right? You hear some pop singers singing at the Super Bowl or whatever, and they're like, oh, wretch, and it's just so, and it's wonderful. Like, no, a wretch is awful. Like, like, disgusting, vile, nasty. That's how gross we are in our sin. And yet that's when God put his love upon us. And we were yet sinners. He loved us. And so it's that we call the sons of God. How is that possible? Because of Jesus Christ's work. Because he came and he took upon all those sins. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You're presently the sons and daughters of God. But guess what? This is not as good as it gets. Right? One day when we're with him in heaven, when he shall appear, this is when he comes back, we'll be able to be with him and see him as he is and we shall be like him. We will get glorified bodies. Right? You don't have bodies that hurt, wear out, don't do what you want them to. Right? These are disposable, if you will. They are made to decay, going to death. Right? When Christ returns, every single one is going to get a new body that lasts for an eternity. And you'll be able to see God more clearly. This, this veil that we have over our eyes of, of sin and distortion, that will be pulled away. We won't see through a glass darkly anymore. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what It's going to get better. We'll be like Him. But knowing that, verse 3, keep this theme going about you abstaining from sin. So everyone who knows that, who has that hope of being with him and in that glorified form, he purifies himself now, even as he is pure. Do we care about how we conduct ourselves now? Yes, you are children of the king. Right? There's an expectation that children of the king should act like children of the king and no longer children of the gutter, which is what we were before he adopted us. Right? Not so that he loves you. He already loved you. Not so that you can earn your place in heaven. You can't get there. Not by your own merits, but in gratitude and in acknowledgement of what he's done and the recognition of where you now stand. I am now. You are now a son and daughter of God. Okay? So, you know, there's uh, going to be language in here that talks about not letting someone deceive you and thinking that you can continue in sin and in unrighteousness and still abiding close and dwelling close with the Father. Those, those are completely separate ideas. Okay? Does that make sense? Again, I'm going far too slow. I'll try to pick this up. Um, Father gave us commandment that we should believe on His Son and love one another. That's a big commandment. Believe on His Son and love one another. Now, is this love? Is this, is this cheap, you know, individual, you know, package, teaspoon level love? Right? No. This is deep, well-springing love. Not loving in word or in tongue. Right? That's, that's, that's a lip service love. Oh, I love you. We're so glad you're here. What are you still doing here? Right? You know, my, my 15 minutes of interest is up with you, right? It's loving in deed and in truth, right? Love uh, that, is, that is useful to others, that bears out, that lifts up um, your brothers and sisters. I mean, that's, that's part of our, our loving in action is helping to bear one another up, right? That's the design of the Lord's church, all right? Verse 24, he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him. Well, what are some of those commandments? Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, love one another. If you're doing that, guess what? He dwells within you. God dwells within you, and you dwell with Him. And hereby we know that. How do we know that He abides in us? By the Spirit that He's given us. Has God given the Holy Spirit to each of His born-again children of God? Yes. yes. Does it ever depart? No. 
is every spirit, air quotes on that, in the world, the Holy Spirit? Yes. No. Not every spirit. There are spirits that we are to try. We don't, we don't like using that word generically. It makes us feel a little uncomfortable. But there are things out there that are not true. There are things that people will come and say, I speak on behalf of God, or I speak on behalf of Jesus, I speak on behalf... And what they're saying isn't backed up by Scripture. That's a spirit of a lie. It's not the truth. The Holy Spirit will never teach you a lie. Okay? The Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. Alright? So hereby we know the spirits. And so uh, John here gives a basic test. All these spirits out there, these people are claiming to speak on behalf of God. The basic test is those that are saying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you can proceed farther. Only God's going to say that. All right? Those that don't say that, those that say Jesus Christ hasn't come in the flesh, he says, you can just throw those out the window. You don't have to listen any further. You've heard enough. All right? All right. Beloved, verse 7, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. What's a symptom that you've been born of God? Your love. Your love for your brothers and sisters. Okay? Didn't cause you to be born, but it's a symptom. It's, it's how it shows up. It's an evidence. He that loveth not, he that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. How do you want to know what God's love looks like? Here in verse 9. I'm, I'm, no, I'm going quickly. 1 John 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God. The love of God was revealed. It was shown plainly towards us. How? Because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's a big deal. There is no greater expression of love than for God the Father to send God the Son to come that we might live through Him. It, was a, it wasn't just a matter of showing up, right? He didn't just come into creation, but He came and He bore all manner of indignation or indignities and suffering, pain, rejection by his own creation and ultimately to die at sinful, wicked hands. He died. Now that was the Father's will that he too died. That was what was going to happen. But the actions were still wrong. Okay, That's how we live is through his sacrifice. So what does love look like? Self-sacrifice, right? Talk is cheap. Oh, I love you so much until it costs me something. Then, eh, that's not really love, right? This is how the, the example that was given to us. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And what's wrapped up in that word propitiation is that, that price that had to be paid, that He had to die for you and I. That was what love is. The revealing of the Father's love to us. He loved us first. So, beloved, if God so loved us, what do we ought to do? Ought to love one another. Right? Amen. You haven't seen God at any time, but you do see your brothers. Right? Amen. You love them. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and he, he in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. All right. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. How can you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Because God's already dwelling within you. He has already given you that new life. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but by the Holy Spirit. Right? That's how uh, Peter was able to say who Jesus was. That you're the Christ. Right? That's what he told him. He said that flesh and blood didn't reveal that unto you. You couldn't figure that out on your own, but the Holy Spirit told him. All right? So we love the Lord because He first loved us and we're given this commandment to love our brethren. All right. It's a long running start. 1 John chapter 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
If you believe that Jesus, the man, the God, right? The God-man, if He is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was appointed all those years ago throughout the Old Testament, it's appointed, he's, there's one coming. He's going to look like this. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. If you believe that He is the Christ, the Savior of all of His people, if you're able to believe that, congratulations, you're already born of God! And so there's been a resurrection in your life. There's been a miracle in your life. I want to see a miracle. I want to see a sign in the sky. If you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, there's already been an amazing miracle in your life. Right? You've been born again. And everyone that loveth Him, who's Him? I think God. Born of God and everyone that loveth Him, God. That begat, right? Who did the begatting? So God begat us. Everyone that loveth God, loveth him that also is begotten of him. All right? So God begat us. God gave us new life. Who else did he give new life to? All of your brothers and sisters. <laughs> and so if you love the parent, you love your brothers and sisters too. You love his children. Right? Because he put that same amount of love on you. Same amount of love on you and on you and on you and on you. And it wasn't because any of us were so worthy was because his son was worthy. And by his son's actions, you're now worthy. Okay? Worthy of my love. Okay? By this we know that we love the children of God. Okay, if we're to love the children of God, what does that look like? I love this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Y'all see this pattern here? You're loving God. You're believing on His Son. You're loving His children. You're loving God. You're keeping His commandments. You're loving God. You're loving His children. So they all reinforce each other. These are all symptoms of what the born-again child of God should do and does do and leans into and needs to do more. Because guess what? What would Paul pray for those churches? I pray that you would love more and more. They were already loving churches, right? That your love would abound yet more and more. All right? For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. The world will tell you that God's just trying to hem you in. He doesn't want you to have any fun, and His stuff is just terrible. No, brothers and sisters, it's more like a map through a minefield. If you follow the instructions, you won't blow your leg off as you're walking through the life. Right? It's for your good. It's for your protection, and it's for His glory. Right? His commandments are not grievous. Right? For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Whatsoever is born of God. All right. All those children of God throughout all of history and all that will be until Christ comes back, they will overcome the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Is there anything in this world that can destroy you, defeat you. If you have been given the gift of faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, no! What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing! There's this whole great long list of nothing! Right? You serve the most powerful, the most awesome, the most wonderful, and you know who He is and what the love He's put upon you? They got nothing over you! Right? Overcome the world. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came in the flesh, descended from heaven, right? took on mortal flesh, yet without sin. Right? Fully God, fully man. Can I explain it? Nope. But I believe it. I believe that's what Scripture says. And by the Spirit of God that dwells within us, we can believe that to be true. He is the, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, the Word, the eternal Son of God. If you believe that, then you've overcome the world. Not because you're so smart, so strong, so beautiful, but because the one that you work for already has. <laughs> right? He's overcome the world. He's given you that faith to have the confidence and assurance as you go through this world in His work, His completed work. This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, you want to get into some 
theological arguments, you go read some commentaries on that verse. There are people who, all across the spectrum of, what does that mean? And they get very dogmatic. It must mean this, and it must mean that. Well, there's not a whole lot of information. right? You've got an allusion here to water and blood. And what I'm going to present to you are the various pictures throughout Scripture where there are connections between water and blood. Now, I think the ones that I'm going to bring up tie in very nicely to the totality of Jesus Christ being the Son of God and what He came to do. Because it says He came. He came by these. He came by water and blood. He is the Son of God. Do you believe that? He came by the water and blood. All right, so let's look at some of these pictures. Now, I'll kind of keep it at a high level. Y'all can go dig these out farther. If you want my scriptures uh, references, we can do that. All right. One of the heresies that Paul is, uh, not Paul, um, John was addressing was that Jesus hadn't come in the flesh. Right? Natural birth, natural death. He came into the world by water. Right? Woman's water breaks. Right? You have this picture of he came into the world. Natural, I mean, fully flesh. He was not a spirit. He was not an apparition. He was the God-man who was born in this world. You know, people like to celebrate at this time of year his birth. Scripture says nothing about when he was born. But if you want to remember it, great! He was born! But it says, not by water only. If Jesus had just come into the world, if the Word had descended take on that mortal form and it had gone no further, y'all, we'd still be stuck. We'd still be in our sins. If the Father had allowed that cup to pass from him when he's praying in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass from me. He knew exactly what was about to happen and the wrath of the Father was going to be borne down upon him on that cross. And so the night before, he was saying, if possible, let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the Father's will was that it would be done and that he would bear that cross. And so in that cross, you had the natural birth of the Lord coming into the world, but you also had the death. You had the blood, the payment all the way through. It wasn't just the water, but he came and he shed his blood that he could be that perfect sacrifice. You had to have both. You had the, had the life and the death. So that's one picture I see. Another picture I see is these, how, does, how does his ministry start? His ministry started with water, right? With John the Baptist. He started at, the, at the, the Jordan River where there was much water and they immersed him. That's what baptism means. He immersed him in water. Did Jesus need to be baptized? No. But he was given an example. I mean, this is... He's setting a pattern for how it would be going forward that each of us, as we acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and I need to follow Him, well, He gave us a pattern. He says, you need to be baptized. You need to go through this symbol of the death and the resurrection of our Lord. Going, dying to that old self and rising to new, right? You're dying with the Lord. That's how intimate of a connection you have with Him. Well, His ministry started with that. He had no sins that needed to be symbolically washed away. Right? That was not the actual washing away. And yet he set that for an example. So that was the beginning of his ministry. And his end of, end of his ministry, earthly ministry, was at the cross. The culmination, that point in history. You say, you know, the birth of Christ was great. That's wonderful. That was the most important thing. You'd say, yeah, no. It was wonderful. But the most important moment in history that's happened thus far was that death. And then a few days later, his resurrection, where we knew that his payment that he made as that propitiation was accepted by the Father. That there wasn't a single sin that was still sitting on the debt or accounts of his children. All right? Fully put away as far as the east is from the west. Right? He came by water and blood. All right, so we've got, got the beginning and the end of his ministry. You've got his natural birth. You've got his death. How about in John 9, uh, 19, 34? What happened when that soldier pierced the Lord's body with a spear? It came out both water and blood. Very interesting pictures. Interesting pictures. And what I think is going on there goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Right? There was really two principal um, ceremonial types that dealt with cleansing and purging. Right? There's cleansing. You know, if you handled a dead body in the Old Testament law, we, we learned in our Bible study the other day about numbers and um, about how you dealt with the red heifer and their ashes and all that, and you, they created waters of purification, right? 
This person who had been defiled by a body, after the third day, you'd have to be washed and cleaned and sprinkled with that water. And by the seventh day, if you've done all the other things, then you would be clean. But there's this idea that water was associated with cleansing, right? Taking that which was unclean and making it clean. And then there was blood. The sacrifices that were for the redemption. And we know that in Hebrews it talked about that without blood was, was not many things under the law that were redeemed or purged, right? So you have a, a washing and a purging. Your sins have been washed away and they've been fully purged away. And this is all those types in the Old Testament are all pointing to Christ, but they're all incomplete. They're small facets of it. And God uses those to teach us of what great work this is. Because we can say the word propitiation in our minds cannot understand the magnitude of what Christ has done. It takes all these little types and put them together for us to kind of understand just a little bit of it. But one day when we see him as he is, we're like, whoa! Now I understand. What is regeneration described as? It's described once as being a washing of regeneration. You have that element of being born again, right? And you know that you have been washed. You've been clean. You're, you're, and, and that your sins have been purged and paid for. You've got that on the individual level. Then you also have that element of cleansing associated with at the, the church level, the um, particularly talking in Ephesians, talking about um, the Lord's love for His church like a husband. Right? Husbands, this is our model for how we love our lives as we look to the Lord. This is Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That's self-sacrificial love, right? That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He sanctified us. He's cleansed us. His whole church, his whole um, beautiful family because of that great love that he had for us. You also see that over in Revelation uh, 19, talking about the, the marriage of the bride of the Lamb. Revelation 19 and... 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready and she was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. What happens when you purify something? It's clean. Pure and white. By his blood made whiter than snow, clean and white. These are, these are beautiful, beautiful pictures of the work of Jesus Christ there in John chapter 5. You know? and, and again, the problem with all those commentaries is they want to be dogmatic. This is exactly the only one that it means. Y'all, I acknowledge that the Lord's ways and thoughts are higher than mine. And if I can see multiple pictures in there from his other scriptures, I'm going to say that there's probably multiple pictures in there because he's way more complicated than we give him credit for. Right? God is not little. If you think that you understand God, you got some issues, <laughs> right? He reveals wonderful truths about Him, and we can learn about that. But we will never understand—not here—everything about God, right? So this is He that came by water and blood. It wasn't just enough that He came. It wasn't just enough that He started the ministry, but He went all the way to the end, where He was willing to lay down His life. Where is the self-sacrificial love most keenly seen? On the cross. When he held nothing back for the sake of his people. Okay? And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Alright? God's given of us of his Spirit. Go back in John 3... 23, he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Spirit bears witness. You're able to read this, you're able to know this in your head and in your heart, 
because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the teacher. I could speak up here the most eloquent message, full of truth, and if you had not been given ears to hear by the Holy Spirit and Him confirming, saying, yes, this is true, you wouldn't hear any of it. wouldn't make any difference. Jesus had a lot of people that heard His messages where their actions always, wow, that's great, that's so wonderful, let's follow Him. No, there was very two radical responses of one, yeah, that's great, let's follow him. Well, we don't quite understand that. Or two of, who is this guy? He's dangerous. He's a threat, right? So if he's the best minister, can't get 100%, right? There's something else going on than just the, the message there, right? It's the spirit that beareth witness. Over back in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, um, where we're told, you know, try the spirits whether they are of God, because there are many false prophets that are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Right? That one that he's given you. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And you jump on down to verse uh, 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit... And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, the Apostle John could say, I've seen and I testify to those things with a natural eye. But you and I can also see and testify by the eye of faith through the Spirit that He's given us that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of all of His people. All of His people. The Spirit beareth witness because the Spirit is true. For there are three that bear record in heaven. All right, to bear records, to, to, to give a witness, to give a testimony. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Right? Can I explain the Trinity to you? No. All right? There are three, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And yet they are one. They are united. There are three that bear record. Their testimony is obviously united together, but more than that, they themselves are one God, the one true and living God. So those are the three. And so you've got this parallel here. There's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And then the next verse it says there's three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one, are one versus agree in one. We've got difference in the Holy Trinity and saying the same message, right? So how does the Father uh, testify that Jesus Christ is the Son? Because that's what we believe, that Jesus is the Son. We know that He came, and there are three that bear record in heaven of that. Well, how did the Father do that? How did the Father testify that He sent the Son? Several occasions, He audibly did it. At the baptism, right? Clouds part, and you hear an audible voice. This is my beloved Son. Happens again at the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? Jesus is there speaking to uh, Moses and Elijah. I think, go double check me there. Um, and then a cloud comes and they hear, those um, three apostles that were there, hear the Father again say, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Right? If that audible voice, the Father uh, sent Him. And not only that, He acknowledged the Son, acknowledged that He was doing the Father's will. Right? Um, out, on, out on the cross, there was a multitude of signs that were occurring, right? There was darkness for a period of hours. There was earthquakes. The uh, graves around there were rent open. You had tombs that had been sealed shut, were now opened. And you know what happened? There were people who had been dead, who after Jesus had, resurrected, had you know, been resurrected, they appeared walking among Jerusalem. How distressing would that have been to be in Jerusalem? We already buried you. Right? And what did that centurion say as he's sitting there watching all that? Right? After Jesus had died. Truly, this is the Son of God. Right? So the Father, through many uh, different signs and audible voices, he, he testified, this is the Son. And the Word, when he was here, would say that the works that he did they testify of him. He did things that no other man could do except God be with him. And that's what Nicodemus recognized. Except God be with you, you couldn't do these things. Right? But even in his own speech, he would say, the Father and I, right? And the, 
They knew what that meant, right? The Jews got really upset. They were ready to stone him when he said that about the Father and I because they knew that he was not only saying, my heavenly Father like you and I do, but his actual Father in that connection of making himself equal with God. And is Jesus equal to God? Yes, because yes, he is God, <laughs> right? And then also you've got on that scene on, Mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration where the glory of the Lord was revealed just a smidge. Yes. Just a smidge. Yes. Right? Three that testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and there's also the Holy Ghost. Well, when he was born of a virgin, what was Mary told? That the Holy Spirit would come upon her. And she would be born, she would give birth to something that had never occurred before. Right? The Holy Spirit was involved in that. Um, at his baptism, what descended in the form of a dove and a lid upon him, and that had been the sign given to John the Baptist? The Holy Spirit. And then also Jesus would ascribe the Holy Spirit of saying when he was casting out demons, and people were saying, well, you're doing that in the works of you know, Beelzebub or Satan. He says, no, I'm doing that in the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? So they're all testifying, they're all bearing witness that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, this is this is this is good testimony. Right? Y'all ever gone to court and you heard a witness, you're like, I don't know if I believe that guy. You've got the divine trinity, the God, the three in one, all united in their testimony that this Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God. There are three that bear witness in earth, now the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. You and I have the indwelling spirit. It testifies to us right now. We have the symbols and the ordinances of our church with the, the baptism where you start your earthly walk with the Lord and you've got the Lord's Supper where you are reminded of that blood that was shed. All of these are testifying at each time of His life his death, His resurrection, right? Why would we do any of those things if He wasn't the Son of God? All that we'd be doing would be vanity. It'd be a waste of time. I mean, we might as well go home and watch NASCAR. I mean, there's this... It's just like going in a loop. Right? These three bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Okay, so you... you again, we've got multiple pictures here. You've got a picture of the ordinances of the church. How about the pictures of that, that indwelling washing, that washing of regeneration? Have you been washed and cleansed? Have your sins been purged? If you can believe that and know that, then you're testifying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes. You couldn't do it without that. If we received the witness of men, remember that was the role of the apostle. They were to say, we've seen it. There were men's accounts of all those things, right? Jesus' birth. Who did he send to be men's eyewitness? Shepherds, right? The great, most important, highest ranking, right? Some lowly shepherds, right? Over in Egypt, those are abomination. Those are nasty fellows, right? You smell, right? God sent them to be witnesses of the birth of his son, right? Beginning. Were there witnesses at Jesus' baptism? Yeah, a whole bunch. Those that were following John, those who were starting to follow Jesus, or the apostles there, right? But witnesses at the cross. Those that hated him, and those that loved him. And those that weren't sure, and they flipped sides mid-camp, right? Thief on the cross, he was making fun of him. I mean, that's... I can't remember that word about misery-loving company, but there's some German word that talks about that. But that's the idea is that, well, we're up here, we're having a bad day, we might as well make fun of this guy too, Right? And yet halfway through, or at some point, something changed in that thief. And he starts upbraiding the other one, saying, Don't you fear God? Why are you mocking Him? We're in the same spot, and yet us justly, and He's done nothing amiss. And he asked the Lord to remember me when He comes into the kingdom. How does He know that He has a kingdom? The Holy Spirit revealed it to Him. Right? The witnesses there. These witnesses of the resurrection? Yeah! All the apostles? And then at one point, Paul says, even at 500 at one time, there were human witnesses 
of all those events, doing these miracles that no man could do, right? And yet, what's the better testimony? Witnesses of men? God himself, right? If we receive the witnesses of men, the witness of God is greater. Party goes, duh. But it is. God has testified himself that Jesus is my son. What better assurance do you want? The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his son. Here's your witness. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. The Spirit that reveals all truth, the Spirit that cannot lie, that Comforter, the one that the Son said, my Father would send in my name who would speak of me and teach you and remind you of all the things that I've said, he dwells within you. Testifying that Jesus is the Son. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Woo! Well, I just don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, what that means is you're saying God is a liar. Well, that's a big deal. God cannot lie. That is contrary to his nature. He is a holy, holy, holy God. He cannot lie. He cannot change Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This is the record that God hath given to us. You didn't earn it. He's given to you eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Why does our doctrine so offensive to the world? Because it's exclusive to Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. There is no other path. There is no other way. There is no other access. Jesus Christ came, and by His blood, He died and redeemed and paid for every single one of His children that the Father gave Him before the world ever started, and every single one of them will be with Him in glory because He paid for them. Amen. Mere wishful thinking or happy thoughts or good-hearted intent in any other direction goes nowhere. And that makes people angry. That's okay. How did the world treat your master? Not so great. Are you better than him? Do you expect better treatment? He warned him that the world would hate you. Keep serving him anyway. Keep doing what's right anyway. Keep loving your brothers and sisters anyway. Keep loving your enemies, because that was one of his commandments. Keep doing the right thing. All they can do is take your life, take your stuff, talk bad about you, humiliate you. Right? We are in an exceptionally blessed and protected time. Right? This is not the norm. This has not been the, the experience of most Christians through history. But even when things get tough, keep doing what's right. You've overcome the world by him that bought you and paid for you. He that hath the Son hath life. You already got it. If you've been born again, you've already been given eternal life. You have it. You possess it. That eternal thing that's been created within you, that new creature that's going to get a new transformed body that will go on for forever, it will not die. That's hard to wrap your head around. It is. But you have eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Right? No life without the Son. These things have I written unto you. Right? There's several things he told. You know, I wrote that you sin not. I wrote that your fellowship may be uh, with us and with the Father. I wrote that your uh, joy may be full. Here's another reason he wrote. These things have I written unto you 
that believe on the name of the Son of God, I'm already writing to believers, I'm writing to believers, that ye may know ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Sometimes we get discouraged, sometimes we get in the dump, sometimes we start listening to garbage that's not true, sometimes we get distorted versions of who Christ is. He says, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He's again, already writing to those who already believe, those who already have the Son. But y'all, we need to be reminded... And if you know that you have eternal life, can that make the things that you're going through be put into proper perspective? Absolutely. Right? Is he ever going to cast you away? No. Is there anyone who can pluck you out of the Father's hand? No. Can the world overcome you? No. In fact, you've already overcome the world, whether you feel like it or not. He has. And so this letter was getting to remind believers these are truths you need to know. That God is light, and in Him is no sin and no darkness whatsoever. You want to walk close to Him? Walk in His light. You want to feel like you're dwelling with Him and your relationship is growing? Not saying that you can make yourself a son. You're already a son. But how do you act like it? How do you live it in a way that glorifies Him? Well, you walk in His light. You keep His commandments. You love your brethren. Right? And that cycle just continues to go and go and go and go. Right? That ye may believe on the name of of the Son of God. We need an assurance. Additional reminders, putting it back into perspective. And so that's where these truths were written. So I pray, and I won't try and wrap up the chapter today. We'll rush through it. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. That it's been a reminder of who Jesus Christ is. The world doesn't mind him being a little baby in a manger. Right? That's not real threatening. Right? But grown Jesus. King of all kings, Jesus, who lives and rules today. Well, you got to have pause with that one. It's easier to ignore this. This one's in charge. And this one's promised that he's coming back. And he's going to get everything that he's already paid for and gather to him. That's what we look forward to. That's what we're waiting for. We're patiently waiting. We're looking to that author and finisher of our faith. We're looking to him to come back because he promised that he would. Right? Whether it's in our life or 2,000 more years from now, I don't know. Anybody who tells you they know, they're lying. Right? But he is coming back. Jesus is the Son of God. And he's your Lord and he's your master. And how we serve him now matters. So let us go forth and serve him with love and diligence. Thank you all for your time and attention.